Hey everyone, welcome to In a Nutshell, a podcast focused on innovation, entrepreneurship and bringing about change. I'm Akshay Sareen, your host for a first series where we explore social entrepreneurship, In a Nutshell of course, a podcast by First Name in collaboration with Blessed By. Our guest for today is Alexa Bednars, who is the founder of Eco Shelter and we are going to talk about financing and sustaining a social organization with her in today's episode. So, uh, what's up? How's it going? <laughs> I mean, it's going well. I'm uh, just kicking off our Monday in Seattle. Kind of a nice gray day, but uh, yeah, excited to be here today. Talk social entrepreneurship. So you have a nice looking room behind you. Is it an eco shelter? <laughs> no, it's just, uh, so we're quarantined right now, you know, me and my partner. So I kind of work in our uh we have a back guest room slash hybrid office. And so this has been my <laughs> kind of where I've been camped out for the past uh, three months now. Nice. That's pretty comfortable. Yeah. So I will, I will stop uh, going around in circles. <laughs> um, so tell us a little bit about Eco Shelter. I mean, I did read up a bit, but it's always nice to hear from the horse's mouth. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Eco Shelter, um, I guess, stemmed from just some observations I had a few years ago. So... Um, my career prior is I had been working in global health. I spent about seven years working at the Gates Foundation in Seattle, looking at how do you scale and introduce new products and services that could impact um, especially marginalized people, people living on less than $2 a day. And I became really interested in um, taking a step back and just actually asking them what they actually might want or need. I found that sometimes the products or services we were introducing, we had kind of low uptake because just it wasn't a priority for people. Behavior change is really hard if it's a big adjustment to their life and it's not something they're particularly is top of mind or a big concern. Um, so that actually led me to housing improvements. I actually became really interested. Some of the studies I was reading, it seemed like when people had extra money to invest, a lot of times they would do that in improving their home. And then as I looked at the sort of home improvements people would invest in, I realized there's a really big gap and not a lot of good building materials available to them. And the roof in particular was one component of the home that was usually the most expensive. And there was a lot of health and financial impact tied to it and not many good solutions. So that's kind of, I guess, was the evolution and kind of how I found myself working on uh roofing solutions in India, which is not what I expected I would be doing if you had asked me seven years ago. So what what would you have been doing? I mean, I'm really curious. Yeah. I think what's a really nice question to always ask is like, why? Why do you do what yeah. you do? And what does it do for you? I mean, I guess if you asked me seven years ago, I would have had no idea what I was working on. But I think the longer I've worked on it, the more passionate I've become. I think I've always been drawn to housing for some reason. But are you a, a real estate agent trapped no, in a social No, on the body? side, I listen like real estate, like investing podcasts. Like I'm just fascinated. I've always been fascinated by real estate. But I think um, so this ties in for some reason with just like my interest. I, I could not tell you why I've always been fascinated by that. But I think the thing when I look at like housing, I feel like it's one thing that we all share in common as humans. Like we all need a place to live and like we all care about where we live. Like mm. it doesn't matter where you are in the world. Like it's something that us like innately as humans 
it's just a basic necessity. And, you know, it's just something we all have in common. We all want a decent place to live that we can feel proud and, and safe, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, that was, I guess, one component. But of course, like, I think the other thing that's really driven me is like getting to know the families that I've met over the years and to hear mm-hmm. their stories and to understand like the challenges that they're facing, what a solution would look like for them. Like, I guess I feel like I've, been given access to opportunities and resources. And so if there's a way I can pull those together to come up with a solution that could help, I feel, I guess, a sense of obligation to to do that as well. So how exactly does like your business model work if there is one? So right now we're essentially like a, a hybrid model. So to get kind of started and do our proof of concept, we've raised funds more through like crowdfunding and kind of donors and and some small grants to get going. So are you um, a nonprofit or a B Corp or? Well, that part's kind of more under nonprofit. So like the pilot, our pilot program in India is considered all a nonprofit project. But I think our our long term, and I don't think that you can really solve a problem like housing or introduce a new building material if you're not doing a for profit model. I mean the scale. And 1.6 billion people, you know, in India, there's at least 350 million. You have to, people won't manufacture it or sell it or anything like if, if you don't actually have a, a product that can be profitable. So all of, so we have some work we're doing in research and product development and identifying solutions. That's more of the for-profit business side, but we're also doing a lot of our pilot program and demonstrations and buildings and other things in community areas that is all part of the the nonprofit arm. So, um, excuse my stupidity, but no. um, so eco shelter means you use eco friendly material, or it's um, so. What's the like? What's unique about what you're doing, other other than the, yeah. the the target audience that you're working with? Yeah. So we are focused on sustainable building materials that are also affordable. So those things don't always go hand in hand. So we're really targeting both. Um, but our bam, so our roofing solution is actually made from bamboo. So okay. um, it's bamboo is like a really incredible resource. It grows um, yeah. much faster than trees. It's carbon sequestering and really strong. And so it's a very simple low tech process um, that has a lot less embodied energy in the product than traditional materials like corrugated steel or asbestos cement, which also has environmental hazards and concerns for health. So I work a lot with bamboo as well. I'm trying to understand. So most Asian countries have bamboo roofs. Mm-hmm. It's like it's been there for centuries. So just explain to me why someone would would come to you to get a bamboo roof that they can probably build themselves. Yeah. So I think it's interesting because when I talk to a lot of people and first describe bamboo roofs, they think, oh, we've seen that. And actually, sometimes I get a lot of resistance to it, but we've seen that and tried it and it doesn't work very well or it's too rural or indigenous. Um, but actually, what we're making is like a manufactured bamboo right. roof. So it's really long lasting. It lasts 25 years. Um, Mm. It's much cooler. It's lightweight. It's really simple and easy to install. So like any local contractor that's familiar with installing a asbestos cement sheet or a metal sheet, like they can swap it out pretty much one to one for this. So it works really well in urban settings, um, Mm. especially like, but yes, bamboo has been used in architecture for such a long time. So you were talking about swapping out bamboo one for one for 
other options. So, so as in terms of like the price point, is it similar to mm. viable? Is it cheaper? Is it more expensive? Yeah, it's not right now, but that's like our, like a big body of work that we're working on right now too is finding ways that we can reduce cost and and get it so that it is affordable or at least within a 10 percent cost range of some of the existing options on the market and it's going to take a long time for that it's probably like a five to ten year endeavor but we're also doing a lot of work through the piloting to determine like what are households willing and able to pay because we also know that people are willing to pay more if there's enough of value so if we could find something that was between the range of um, a reinforced concrete home or a slab house, which is really aspirational, but unaffordable for a lot of people, if we could find something that was in between as we continue to drive down price, like what price point would be acceptable? Mm -hmm. Some of the benefits are that it keeps the home a lot cooler. So that is really important for a lot of people from health and just a comfort standpoint. Yeah, it doesn't break. So we find that a lot of people complain about monkeys jumping on their roof and breaking and having to replace it all the time. So it's a really strong option. It can be reused multiple times if you're expanding so we're trying to figure out what how people like respond to some of those things and where, where do you manufacture these roofs so we're working with a manufacturer in the northeast so oh, we're getting material and, mm -hmm. is this your facility or you've partnered with someone and then you're kind of uh, doing like the outreach through your yeah, own we've own. more partnered with them. So right now we're doing outreach and getting sales and doing more of these pilots to understand more about like use case and target market, how nice. we distribute. Mm -hmm. So who, so who are your um, potential customers for for this product? So we've partnered with some really um, incredible organizations. So one is the Mahila Housing Trust. They're part of Seva. They're in headquartered in Ahmedabad, but they work across eight states in India. Yeah. They're in 15 cities, almost a thousand slum areas. Mm -hmm. But they really, their whole mandate is to help people improve and upgrade their homes. And they do that with a lot of services, including microfinance. So we've been working really closely with them because this has been a pain point for them is mm -hmm. they've been looking for better roofing materials for their constituents. So through them, we're learning more about their constituents and, and that's kind of a target customer is using their network to to distribute and get product to people who need it. I think one of the things we're grappling with is more markets, um, not necessarily, you know, lower income, but there's people could use it for carports. I mean, like it could be used for a lot of different applications, fencing. I think we're trying to balance with, you know, if you get more volume and you sell to other markets, you can get your price down. But how do we also make sure that we have impact and the product gets to the people yeah. that really need it? So, um, for a mission like yours, I assume that it's not just roofing. I mean, it's a, it's about bringing a change in someone's life. So what kind of um, allied industries or partners do you guys work with or would you like to work with? I think some of the partners we work with is our, our technical partners. So mm -hmm. the roof is kind of where we're getting started and focused, but there's other issues and need for other building materials as well. So... We have a potential collaboration right now with another technical partner on these low cost bricks um, mm -hmm. that would be really insulative and use recycled water bottles that are ending up in landfills or being incinerated. So I feel like part of what we're doing is identifying some of the most promising high potential building material solutions and then partnering with organizations who 
can reach constituents and kind of, yeah, building, I guess, the network and hub. And then also we're building a lot of relationships with points of sale and hardware retailers and places that can actually carry the product and then doing a lot of marketing around the product too, determining kind of how people will learn about it. Yeah, I guess kind of all of the components of new product introduction. What would you say is like any industry, every industry is super competitive, even social entrepreneurship. And as you know, working in India, everything in India is like extra competitive. So like, how do you uh, compete or collaborate and I'm also quite curious, like, what what is, like, the core value that you bring to the ecosystem? Hmm. You as an individual and as an yeah. organization. Yeah, that's a good question. I think with regard to the first one, like, how you collaborate, it can be hard sometimes, but I really do feel like there's plenty enough to go around. And, like, I feel like by helping others, like, somehow more comes back to you. And I feel like there's so much satisfaction that comes like there's something that I think as all social entrepreneurs you can relate on another level like you the challenges and what you're going through is just so much so I feel like we're in the trenches together and like I feel like you gotta help out other social entrepreneurs like make connections make introductions share funding opportunities like just be a resource and help out where you can and um I guess be a good be a good human and just try to help out others. Like I feel like if the more others succeed, like the more like we bring to the I guess attention to this and we want success stories so that there's continued investment and funding and we can continue to grow it. So in terms of I guess what we can bring or what I can bring. In some ways I just feel like I've had a unique experience being exposed to a bunch of different networks. So I think I'm have some really great like technical experts that, you know, I have good access to. And then I think, you know, my background the last seven years in philanthropy gave me a lot of just, I guess, random connections um, in different countries around the world, but also like academics and industry and just exposure to all these things. So I'm like a generalist like through and through, like I know a little bit about a lot of things. And so I Mm -hmm. feel like I'm more of a bridge and a connector. And so I feel like to the extent that I can bring groups and people together and then, yeah, hopefully attract the resources that we need to actually financial and otherwise to move things forward. I I guess maybe that's the value I think I could bring. And of course, you, you brought in some funding to get this entire thing started off, right? Yeah. So tell, tell me a bit more about that. Um, I, I read that it was a social venture pitch competition. Mm, yeah. So, so what exactly was this and um, how, how did you go about it? Yeah, that was like the first, yeah, the first little bit of seed funding that we got. I had gotten back from India. So I was in India in 2015. I spent six, 2015, 2016, I spent six months in Delhi. And that's kind of when I became more like set on like, I need to do something about this when I got back and uh, didn't know where to start. But I had the idea and like a rudimentary business plan. And I just decided to enter social venture partners. They have chapters Mm -hmm. around the world and they were doing this pitch competition that I learned about. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, I'll just apply. And then six months later, I was doing the final showdown and we had to pitch in front of like a thousand people. And it was absolutely terrifying. But we got a little bit of seed money that we could then use to build the first demos and we could Mm -hmm. start to get some impact measures. So yeah, that was like the first little bit of seed money to get going. And then I think that gave us enough momentum to where I tried to tap my networks and do a crowdfunding campaign. And that kind of was 
the next big bulk of money or so a bigger bulk of money. And then kind of, then you had enough to do grant applications. And so kind of kept building from there. So you mentioned, mentioned three buzzwords. One was, uh, seed funding, one was <laughs> crowdfunding, and the other one was. Uh, but um, oh. so you obviously know the, the the process on how to go about this entire thing. So, now I do. <laughs> I didn't know. Well, yeah. <laughs> because there is, there is yeah. a there is. I mean, I wouldn't say there's a formula, but there is um, a route to being a successful entrepreneur in this space. There are steps, and you know, in the journey mm-hmm. that you take. And I guess your experience at the Gates Foundation would have helped you tremendously in understanding what are the options available, you know, mm-hmm. from a funding point of view. And you said impact measures, yeah. Got so it, yeah. Like, these, are like, these are like the things that everyone looks yeah. for, like seed funding, yeah. how do you measure your impact? And then you went out and communicated to the public at large saying, you know, here's something we're doing. Do you believe in us? And mm-hmm. would you like to participate? So tell me a bit more about these these three things, because I'm sure there's a lot of people who, are, who would listen to this and be curious how, how you went about the entire thing and how they could not necessarily replicate what you did, but how could they kind mm-hmm. of... Yeah, I think this was the part I got hung up on for the longest. And being at the Gates Foundation was helpful and it wasn't in some ways, because all the grants and people we were working with were so much later stage. I had no idea how you actually get started in the really, really beginning early. But I think the thing is to just start small and figure out like, yeah, the first way. So I think pitching competitions can be a really good way if you just need, oftentimes you get a lot of feedback and good like, you know, ideas about how to tell the story and talk about it, but also you can get potentially a little bit of money. So when you did the the SVP pitch competition, how much money did you get from that? We got six thousand, about six thousand dollars, six thousand five hundred dollars. So and then what did you use that for? We used that to buy material for the first three homes, and then use that to also had some friends in Delhi who could help us make a film for a crowdfunding campaign. And so it was mostly those two things. It was some of, yeah, some travel expenses for them to come out to film. Are you and... sure Are you sure you're not Indian? Because that sounds like some Indian jugaard. <laughs> you, yeah, you I mean... You. It's like straight up Indian jugaard. Like, you got like a little bit and then exactly. like, how can we, how can we blow this up? Exactly. Exactly. And that's exactly like it just had to start small. It was like, okay, let's do like a few, right? Like we'll get proof of concept. We'll record it, document it really well, make it compelling, tell the story and then use that to raise more money. So we've covered the seed funding and the crowdfunding to some extent. Mm -hmm. So what about the impact measures? Like how do you, how did you measure your impact to then explain to people that, hey, this is what we're doing and it makes sense as a prototype? I think, um, one of the measures that actually came up that we realized was potentially really impactful, and there was a lot of other existing data that could support it, was actually reduction in temperature indoors. So that's something that's relatively easy to measure. But like we also know from other studies that like increases in temperature of, you know, five degrees like resulted in 1600 deaths in one year. And I don't know. So like by being able to measure things like that, there's also studies that talked about reductions in temperature and impact that has on productivity for like women and workers at home. So again, you can't like extrapolate and say at the high level, but you can begin to tell that to an impact investor as to like, we know it's reducing temperature by this amount. And historically, here's what that can mean. So I think, again, you begin to start ground it and, and you get more refined, I think, and you can cl- start collecting more and more data. But that was an easy place to start. 
but that's that's true. Temperature no, is an important thing. Yeah. It is. It's a really um, important thing. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of impact. There's energy impact. All these sorts mm -hmm. of things. Electricity usage. Yeah. Hmm, interesting. Mm -hmm. So um, why didn't you give me a question to ask you? I guess the question would be, what do you want to share with other social entrepreneurs trying to start out or maybe contemplating the leap? <laughs> hmm. That was that was going to be my my closing. Okay, bit, sorry, but, but but that's fine. We can close it. So yeah. So you ask yourself the question: What was what's what's your answer? I guess what I would share is like I f I think it's like one of the scariest things you can ever do, and it took actually several years for me to get into the right mental state to where I could actually take the leap. And I think sometimes like we get told these like notions that you have to like jump in with both feet and be all in and or else like no one's going to take you seriously. But I guess like the story in my experience has actually been a lot slower. And, you know, I built a lot of it over the past over two or three years while having a full-time job and doing it on the side and just trying to be diligent about like saving and things like that too. So I could, I guess, take the risk and position myself to do it. I guess I, I would say start small and don't also... Sometimes I felt like that voice would get in my head and, and stop me a lot and um, definitely a lot of imposter syndrome. And so mm. I guess being able to identify imposter syndrome too when that's creeping in and, and talk it back. So for, for uh, most people who aren't familiar with imposter syndrome, can yeah. you elaborate? Yeah, I think the way I describe it is like imposter syndrome is kind of like that voice in your head that's just always like pushing you down. Like it's like, you're a fraud or do you really think you can do this? I get the all the time of like, why do you think you can do this? I mean, like I'm a white woman sitting here in the US, like why am I trying to do this? And like, it's a valid question and I'm still grappling. But I think then it comes down to, well, are you not gonna do something about it too? But like, you just need to, I think, like recognize the voices and yeah. And I mean, I have it all the time too. Like I'm not a technical expert, I'm not an engineer. Like I, you know, so again, I'm like, how do I possibly think that I can do this? And you know, there's a lot of the moments of self doubt, but looking at the progress that you make over time and um, just thinking about what can I bring to this and how can I contribute and where do I need help and asking for help. But it's, I guess what I would say is that it's, um, it's a mental battle as much of anything else. Like there's obstacles, but I think sometimes like our own mindset can be our biggest obstacle. So since you have so many whys, back to the question, why are you doing this? I think because I know deep down that like, I can use, I guess, like I said, the opportunities that I have and the privilege that I have, and it can make a difference. Frankly, like I'm good at fundraising. I can figure out how to get access and like leverage the resources that we need. The more we learn about the problem, the more that we realize like something urgent needs to happen and it has to be done like now. Like we can't wait. Like this is going to be a really, really big issue. And at this point, I just can't like turn a blind eye and like not do anything and know that. So these skills that you mentioned uh, in terms of access and fundraising, are, are you open to using these skills for other purposes? I mean, if it's not eco-shelter, mm -hmm. but if you find someone else that needs help, would you be open to working with them as well? Yeah. No, I think in the long term, I really want to like move forward like this field more broadly and like help other social entrepreneurs definitely. And and I actually just like anytime like someone gets connects me with someone, I always will take a side chat or coffee and just like hear about where they're at and if I have any ideas of places they might look or maybe grants to consider or things like that. I'll always share. I don't always know things, but yeah, definitely. I think that's something I'm... When you said right now you want to kind of be an enabler in, in whatever way possible, 
it kind of reminded me of of this uh, i think it was jfk who said that if when the ocean rises it takes all the ships with it or something like mm-hmm. that like a rising mm-hmm. tide mm-hmm. rising tide lifts all boats or something like that and yeah. i think that, that's really beautiful thing thought that you know when we all put in some effort into something then it's not just us but it's everyone else who gets carried along as well and mm-hmm. and this is something that that i kind of think about every day is that similar to you like i have similar skills and am i open to applying those skills and helping other people that not are not necessarily connected to my my endeavor current mm-hmm. endeavor and yeah. yeah yeah and i yeah i think in a lot of ways you know it is a lottery of birth and so like mm-hmm. how can you yeah use whatever sorts of things you know like and just try to use it to make it a little bit more equitable i guess like when you leave this earth <laughs> yeah i completely echo that that thought mm-hmm. sweet cool yeah i guess uh, i think that's good Awesome. Well, thanks so much. It was, yeah, really fun to speak with you. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Social Entrepreneurship in a Nutshell. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast to receive updates on new episodes. If you wish to get in touch with any of our speakers, just drop us a message and we'll get back to you. See you in our next episode.